With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Simi Ogilvy, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, Taco Fall, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. Welcome back to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA and Parquet Press. Uh, Sam and I are back a little later than normal because technology sucks, but you know, stuff happens sometimes, so I appreciate you guys for hanging in there. Uh, we have another special guest on this, I guess, Friday episode, but it's Sunday instead, so uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself, and yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, Dan Greenberg, Barstool Sports. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> uh, yeah, great to have you. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, a lot of stuff has been happening in the NBA recently, specifically with players choosing to opt out. And the, I guess, latest one, aside from Victor Oladipo, having to do with the Boston Celtics, which I know we're all big fans of. Uh, Gordon Hayward said he'll have to leave the bubble uh, in September uh, when his fourth child is born. And I'm seeing a lot of people on Twitter give him a bunch of shit for it. And I just I don't get it. Like, <laughs> what don't people get about him wanting to be there for his kid? Like, do you have any thoughts on that whole situation? Uh, yeah, I mean, mostly if you have an issue with it or you, you are, you use some hot takes about it. I mean, you're just an asshole. I don't know other <laughs> how else to say it, you know, like he's, yeah. at least he's showing up for exactly. the start of the bubble. And I mean, I just think any of these guys, whether they want to sit out for safety, for family, for health, whatever, I mean, this is such a unique situation. I don't think you know, it's his fault that he planned to have a kid in September when they're usually <laughs> in the basketball. So if he has yeah. to leave, he has to leave, and they'll see him when he gets back. No, yeah. I mean, the fact that he planned having a child around a basketball season is impressive enough. But Yeah, no. and, and I mean, listen, that's just – that's sort of just shit luck that, you know, we had this once-in-a-generation pandemic situation that's probably yeah. never going to happen again. You know, Vincent Poirier is the same thing. You know, he has a kid mm-hmm. due around the same time. Like, that's just life. Life happens. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I know. Sam, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I can't believe, like, people are actually getting mad at him. Like like you say, he's electing to come in the first place. Um, Like, he's doing just about anything he can. He's having a kid. Like, of course you want to be there to see your kid be born. The yeah. only thing I can think of is, like, a joke are the people that really don't like Robin Hayward. And they're going to go at her for that. But even that is like, it's a little. Well, little... I, would, I would look at it this way. Do you think she, like, imagine he doesn't go back. There probably won't be a Gordon Hayward for the next season because he'll probably, probably just murder him or something. So yeah. if you have to go for a week or whatever and come back, then so be it. Yeah, no. That's just. I, I've, the, another argument I've seen on Twitter, which baffles me, is that good. I'm glad he's going. He's not good anyways, which just doesn't make any sense either because he's one of the most efficient players on the team. Like, I, I just don't get what goes through people's minds before they tweet stuff like that. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not a perfect player, but he's, no, yeah. for, he's a certainly important piece in what they do and how they play. So it's it seems kind of contradictory to be like, 
oh, I love how the Celtics play. I think they can be successful, but I, you know, I'm looking forward for Hayward to not be there because he yeah. sort of helps open everything up. He's mm-hmm. perfect for the offense. I just, you know, he can guard multiple positions. I, it, people just like to blame him because, you know, he's the easy guy to blame. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I think they focused more on last season. But if they actually looked at his 45 games this year, I mean, he was playing at an all-star caliber level. Maybe not, you know, good enough to make the team. But for a fourth option, 17-6 and six with, yeah. you know, 50% from the field and 39% from three or something. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Exactly. I agree. I think people are just too stuck on the fact that he got paid this huge contract to play like he did in Utah, when in reality, he's playing like he did in Utah. It's just that he's not the number one option like he was there. Right. Yeah. And he's been really solid um, handling the ball and facilitating for the team, too. He's honestly, with like Kemba and all the other scorers, I think it's really nice when he's the one facilitating. That way, Kemba can come off screens and shoot and not have to handle the ball all the time. I think it's really something that makes the Celtics dangerous to other teams. So right. I think he's and more important than a lot history, of people right? say. When they were an offense that was, you know, solely Isaiah Thomas scoring point guard, what did Atlanta do in that playoff series? They trapped him, they got the ball out of his hands, you know, and there wasn't – he couldn't really facilitate to anybody. Well, now you have a 6'8 guy, you can initiate your offense. They're not going to trap him and leave someone like Kemba or Tatum off ball. So it's really just like that's why I can't understand why you would be excited to not have that variation and variety to your offense because you know teams are going to trap Kemba and Tatum as soon as they cross half court. We saw that right before the hiatus. So if you have another ball handling Hayward who's an elite playmaker and has and sees the floor well, I mean that's that's the Swiss Army knife. But he just has to be aggressive. If he if he is a hesitant Hayward, that sort of defeats the whole purpose. But if he's aggressive, it's it makes this team so much more difficult to guard, which is all is going to be pretty important, I would say. Especially in a playoff series because you've got uh, teams game planning, making adjustments every game. So if you can adjust your offense every game, it makes them a lot harder to defend. Being like score playing through Hayward or Kemba or Tatum or Brown even, rather than just doing the same thing every game, like you say. They would trap Isaiah Thomas and get the ball out of his hands when he was the main guy. So... It, it'll yeah, definitely it hurt them. Different, different wrinkles and different variations to make your team harder to guard. I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, what you said about Hayward being aggressive, it obviously makes the Celtics a better team. I think that's the one thing he struggled with with all these injuries. Obviously, the the horrific leg injury we saw a couple years ago, and then uh, this season he hurt, his, I think, his hand, right? And But we've seen like the flashes, like that game against the Cavs where he dropped like the most efficient 39 point game I've ever seen in my life. Just like if he's aggressive and gets the freedom to drive to the basket and handle the ball for the whole game, then he can do what he did in Utah. And I would argue even better, which is it's nice to see for the guy you gave a max contract to uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, I'm probably one of the few people like, I don't really give a shit what his contract is. Right? <laughs> like, if he was making 15 million a year, it would still be a problem if he's like not aggressive. So just that's yeah. because he makes thirty million. Like to me, that's just you know that's the market. That's what it costs to get a player of his caliber. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I never looked at it like okay, he makes thirty million. He needs to do a minimum of X, Y, and Z on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's just you know it when you see it. And when he plays like an all-star caliber player, you know the team is better. When he's hesitant, when he just stands in the corner, when he you know is afraid to attack the basket, 
it doesn't work. So that wouldn't be okay, in my opinion, if he was a league minimum player, let alone, you know, a max player. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it um, it gets focused on too much, I think. so. But um, speaking of all-star caliber players, one of the Celtics all-stars this year decided to grow a mini afro during the offseason. I've heard people call him Trayson Tatum after, or I don't even know, like after Trey Young. Any thoughts on the new the new haircut lineup for Jason Tatum? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's just a look into the future of Deuce, right? Like, he's got hair like Deuce. <laughs> so we all know Deuce is one badass motherfucker. So if he just looks like, if he shows up like that with the afro and the beard, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. I think we're going to see February Tatum. But I, I love it. I just think, you know, we're all, we all have crazy hair due to this mm-hmm. wild time. So why should he be any different? Yeah. I'm super excited to see how Tatum plays because I was kind of worried about the hiatus cooling him off. But then you saw the t- uh, the quote come out from Daniel Tice the other day saying the man was not missing on the first day back of practice. So it's looking like he's still going to be that that dude that's just dropping thirty on everyone's head. Yeah, I just think you know for the entire league, right? Not just the Celtics, but I think it's going to take a while for guys to get back into it. Similar to how it usually is at the beginning of the season, right? Like we've seen times in Tatum's career in October, November, and the beginning of December where he's started slow. So I don't think he's going to shoot 48% from three like he did, you know, in February. But I think, you know, as the entire league gets in, you know, gets into the flow of things, he just needs to be an efficient number one scorer. Like you don't need to be on that February run, but you need to be a reliable, efficient first option or, or this team's ceiling shrinks dramatically. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think he established himself as the number one scorer. So if he can drop even what he's averaging now, like 23 a night, and then everything else should be able to fall into place because you have guys like Kemba and Jalen coming up after him that will always like pick up the slack even if he struggles. Like Jalen Brown hasn't been the number one option all season. He's averaging 20 points. Like that says something about the ability to score and the scores we have on the team. So I think it's like you said, as long as he can be efficient to some degree and hit his shots, we should be, we should be good. Um, something else I wanted to mention. So the, the, the beard, I forget, I forget exactly what it was when he connected his beard, right? Was that like the turning point when he started playing? Like what you say? February Tatum. Right, like yeah, the whole I think thing. Was... It can't be understated. I think it all affected him. I think the hair, the beard, the fact that he finally, you know, had the weight off his shoulders of making the All Star team. You know, that's all important. But I'm a huge believer in 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 the beard theory. I think connecting yeah. it was like his <laughs> final, you know, superpower or whatever enhancement, whatever you want to call it. But you know, I think that's why we probably won't see him shave it at least for this run because you know he's certainly been a, a different player post connected beard. Hundred percent. I was gonna say, uh, we saw what he could do with the full full beard. Let's see what he can do with a full head of hair. I, I think I'll average fifty in the playoffs. If that's that's he what could. the. Uh... I mean, this is, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. You never know what to expect, but more often than not, it's pretty good. Hopefully, he doesn't have to. Uh, I mean, that'd be nice, but yeah. I mean, like I said, they're gonna face some good defenses. I just think, you know, we're. It'll be interesting to see because, like, in his rookie year when they made the run, they were, you know, the underdog, sort of upstart. Nobody believed in us. And they, you know, had a pretty good run. Then the next season when they had a little bit more expectations, you know, they floundered. Obviously, Kyrie and everybody had a big 
you know, role to do with that. But he struggled in that Milwaukee series as well. Now it's like, okay, you have the expectations of a title contender and you're the number one option. We haven't seen that version of Tatum, you know, in a playoff series, right? Because when they made that deep run, they weren't exactly title contenders or title favorites or whatever. Well, now they are, and he's the guy. So it'll be, you know, he's just as unproven and unknown as any of the other guys. Like, we don't know what Kemba will look like in his first pressure situation on a team with a legit chance. So as confident as we can be, you also have to look at the other side and say there are just as many questions because, you know, these guys haven't had to do it yet. Speaking of Kemba, I'm super pumped to see him back to his injury-free form now that he's had a couple months to recover from that uh, lingering knee problem he's had. He was really solid at the beginning of the season. I think, like we were just talking about, like he could be a big help to Tatum in the playoffs. I'm super pumped to see that. Yeah, and it's the key to everything, right? Like, before the break, he couldn't beat anybody off the dribble. He kept getting off the slow starts in these first quarters, and they dig themselves an early hole. Like, Kemba is the key to everything. If he's the healthy you know, 22 and six type player that, you know, can get hot in a minute and, and isn't laboring around screens and can't beat his primary defender, then, you know, they're cooking with gas. But if his knee doesn't hold up or he doesn't have that first step quickness, that's a little concerning for sure. Yeah, you talk about Kemba coming off the injury, how he, he kind of wasn't the same, like post All-Star game. There was all this like fuss about him playing too much in the game or anything but I feel like a, an even better question is will we see like all the Celtics players come off coming off injuries like back, back, get back to the form they were like correct me if I'm wrong but when Ennis Cantor posts a double-double we haven't lost this season and we haven't gotten a lot of that because yeah. I think part of like what was happening was he had a lingering injury and Ennis Cantor before the All-Star break and after just was not the same person because we saw the game against the Lakers, game against the Pelicans, like dropping these massive double doubles. And then we just kind of lost that aspect of the team. Like he just stopped playing the way he did. And I think Stevens cut him out of the rotation a bit. Do you think Cantor can kind of return to that form or do you have any hopes for him to do so? Yeah, but it's, he's an interesting case because teams are just going to pick and roll him to death, right? Like just like what we used to see with Kelly Olenek who really struggled in drop coverage. It felt like every single time LeBron went down the floor, they just ran a quick pick and roll switch and attacked him. They're going to do the same thing to Cantor. So for him to sort of justify his minutes, he needs to rebound. He needs to, you know, be the, the beast on the offensive glass and he needs to, you know, score on the low post when needed. But in the playoffs, you can't really have these possessions if he's not doing that and then giving up buckets on the other side. That's why, you know, Robert Williams is so intriguing because he's a little bit more athletic. He can make him maybe still give you the same rebounding and rim protection that Cantor does, but he may not be that much of a liability. The only argument against that is he has zero experience in, <laughs> in playoff basketball. So it's, it's one of those things where Cantor may have the, you know, the more proven track record, but is more of a liability. And then you have Williams who has a higher ceiling, but it's just more improved. How do you think they're going to um, handle the center rotation with uh, now Robert Williams being healthy? Do you think we're going to see less and less of Cantor? Like we're kind of hinting at here, or do you think Brad's going to try and balance it as much as he can to get a feel for who's, or, or is it going to be situational, I guess, is what I'm asking. I think it'll, it'll probably primarily be situational. I think he'll be a little bit more patient with Robert Williams. I think Cantor will obviously get the first look. But it all just depends, right? Like, if teams are going 
super small against them. I would rather have someone like Williams at the five, you know, to fill in for Tyson's minutes. For but sure. I think really if it's someone like Philly that has more size, you know, I think Cantor does a better job defending Embiid than, than Williams does. So I think a lot of it is matchup based, but, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there are, you know, quick hooks just because the playoffs, every possession matters. And, you know, Cantor turns it over a bunch. There's just, there's a lot of risk there, but um, I, it all just depends on how, and, you know, the seeding looks and who they play. Do you think they're starting to get impatient with Robert Williams at all? Um, what's he third season or second season? And, uh, well, he's been injured. Um, I don't know. I mean, he was what the 27th pick those, he, his, his flashes are enticing enough where you just want him to be able to stay healthy. But, you know, I think when you take a guy that low, you have to give him more than two years, you know, give him at least the, the length of his rookie deal or else, you know, you may as well have just taken him in the second round. But, um, I, I just think the flashes that he shows when he plays is, is too unique to just be like, to turn that page. I just, you know, I bet you they're like the rest of us. I just want him to be healthy. Yeah. I, I think I, I completely agree. I just see some people that are down on him and I don't get it. Uh, speaking of the other Williams, Grant Williams has been living with Kemba Walker for the last couple months with the quarantine. Do you think we're going to see him maybe pick up some skills from Kemba? If he got to work out with Kemba at all, do you think he might be a little bit more skilled, maybe better shooter? I mean, probably not. I don't think. I don't think just because they're roommates, he's going to get like some sort of shooting talent through osmosis or whatever. I just think, you know, for all the reasons why Kemba is so important from a chemistry perspective. I mean, we weren't getting that sort of love to the to the young guys from the point guard last year. So for I sure, it's not important. Just you know, to build trust and to build a relationship in chemistry than than anything that could be you know on the court production wise. No, I don't think that's sadly gonna gonna happen it's unfortunate uh speaking of grant williams um and the rotation i guess in general who do you see like stepping up for us in the playoffs like especially now that hayward says he'll have to step out if we make a deep run which i would hope the celtics are able to do this year who do you see like off the bench like obviously the celtics bench scoring has always been a problem this year with smart having to step up in the rotation due to injuries a lot of the time and if hayward leaves i assume he'll do the same then so who do you like See stepping up. Like, do you think Grant Grant Williams can step up in his rookie season? Brad Wanamaker is going to play well. Semi Ojale even start hitting some shots. Like, who, who do you see being the guy helping out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Semi will certainly get the first opportunity, right? Brad's certainly shown that in his playoff history, especially you know as they get deeper. You know, they trust that he can defend multiple positions. He's shooting thirty six percent from three. But if, in terms of the young guys, I want to see Romeo get some minutes, sort of like how Jalen did his rookie year, just because I think he can defend at the NBA level and he's so athletic that, you know, he could have a two or three possession stretch where, you know, he defends well, he scores in transition and just gives you that shot of, you know, that boost that you need. So I'd like to see Romeo get minutes, but I think all signs point to, you know, Semi getting the first call just because he's done it before. Um, I think he, he won't be thrown off by the moment and, all he has to do is just stand in the corner and make threes, so he can do that. So I, I bet you he's the one. It's interesting that you uh, brought up Romeo. I've seen a lot of people really negative on him, a lot of outsiders. Like I see videos on YouTube, which rookies have had the most disappointing rookie season. I think Romeo's been really solid, especially in the games he's actually gotten minutes. He had a couple games, maybe February, maybe late January, where he was getting a lot of time. The one against Atlanta, really yeah. Impressive. 
Yeah, I just think with Romeo, it's like it's a carbon copy of Jalen's rookie year, right? They took this guy in the lottery. He only played like 15 minutes a game, averaged six or seven points, didn't really play that much. And it's just because on this team at that position, it's different than with most teams that are taking guys in the high lot in you know the lottery to the high lottery. It's just that he has a different role and different sort of pecking order on this team. It doesn't mean he sucks. It just means it's all about opportunity. Look what we saw happen to Jalen once he got a legit opportunity. Yeah, he was incredible he was in that playoff run. Dynamic two-way player. Yeah, and I think Romeo can learn a lot from Gordon Hayward. I think they're somewhat similar uh, players, so I think that's awesome that Hayward is on the team to kind of teach him to be like kind of a taller ball handler that can facilitate and get to the rim. I think that's an awesome mentor he could have. Yeah, and I just think you can't judge, you know, you have to be patient. And that may not be the case with every lottery pick because they step right in and are playing 25, 30 minutes a night. That's, you know, outside of Jason Tatum, that's not really how it's worked, even dating all the way back to Marcus Smart. So it's just a different situation on this roster because they're, you know, mixed with veterans, they're contending, but they also have these high draft picks, which are usually safe for teams that are completely rebuilding and can just throw these guys to the wolves. That's not the case on this roster, and I don't think that necessarily tells you anything about Romeo and what his ceiling could ultimately be. I think one of the, the bigger issues on the Celtics this year, as I said before, like we couldn't score off the bench, and a big part of that is maybe getting an extra shooter. And if Romeo can develop in the way that he's projected to, I think – he'd fit that role perfectly it's just a matter of him I I think like you guys have been saying growing and getting the opportunities to continue to to grow and work with this team but um, as as we talk about rookies uh, we have Tremont Waters and Carson Edwards kind of two really small guards that the Celtics selected in the past draft and then we have Brad Wanamaker who's getting the majority of the the backup point guard minutes unless you want to count smart as a backup point guard but I think he kind of just does everything so I'll stick with Wanamaker here. Do you see the Celtics re-signing Wanamaker in the future, or do you think they're going to let Waters and or Carson step into that role and let kind of Wanamaker's contract end when it does? Yeah, I'd be surprised if they did. I mean, it it comes up after this season. He's already 31. You know, you gave Carson that four-year guaranteed deal. Tremont Waters had a good G League season. I think, you know, for what he is, Wanamaker has been – as solid as a backup point guard as you could expect from someone coming over from overseas. But uh, at 31 years old, it would surprise me if they brought him back and, and continued to, you know, stunt the development uh, of Jalen and Waters. But it all depends, right? Like, they have so many picks on this year's draft without the roster spots. Maybe they package picks and Waters or Carson or someone in a trade, and then that way they need to bring back Wanamaker and you keep one of the two between Waters and Carson. They're just – there's so many options, but if they, if they were to find a way to push back those draft picks and keep Carson and Waters, I, I can't see them bringing back Wanamaker. Is there one in particular you think they could get with the uh, stuff they're willing to give up in that situation? Anyone you'd be interested to see them? Uh, you mentioned the trade, like a potential trade with uh, the surplus of draft picks and things like that. Is there anyone in particular you have in mind for that? Do you think that they could get with no, that kind I, I of – I think, uh, I mean, if anything, you're going to be maybe, you know, if, if that Memphis pick somehow, you know, they miss the playoffs and it's late lottery, maybe you can 
attach a couple and move up to like, I don't know, 13, 12, something like that. But it feels more like we're going to see the Danny H special where he, you know, packages, you know, two first and the second for a future first, something like that, just to kick the can down the road. Cause I mean, there are shooters available in the draft, but I, I don't think you're going to have the collateral to get high enough to, it's not like the NFL, I feel like where you can, there's like a, a systematic formula. Um, I just feel like if anything, they'll just, draft and trade or trade the picks for you know future or future drafts you mentioned um wanamaker's contract obviously ending and then the draft happening and possibly like if we wanted to trading carson or tremont with the picks we have and packaging them do you see us like signing anybody potentially in the offseason or do you think that this is the roster we're going to get and if we get anybody else it'll be like from a draft pick that we have or like just bringing our guys back yeah, I don't know what – off the top of my head, I don't know what kind of exemptions they have to play around with, but I, I don't see them – I mean, maybe if Cantor leaves and re-signs somewhere else, he's on a – you know, he turns down his player option because that's only like $5 million. So if he has a good showing in the playoffs, maybe he wants to cash in somewhere else. But, you know, I, I don't foresee any drastic free agent signings, mostly just because it's not even that great of a class. So – uh, and the, the, they actually might also be close to being over the luxury tax. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but uh, I think what you're seeing now, when they made the decision to not gut the team for Anthony Davis, I think that was a sign where this group is and then how they grow is sort of how they're going to look for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I'm, I was a big proprietor for not trading for Anthony Davis. I know, Sam, you mentioned you, you thought we could have. or uh, I, I was on the fence. Uh-huh. Uh, I wasn't like a- after last season. I wasn't overly impressed with Tatum because like he had to take us backup role to Kyrie and all that uh, shenanigans. Especially they were trying to get Gordon Hayward back, so like his his play was really limited. I think so. Like I wasn't super sold on him, but a- obviously after watching this season, it's clear that they made the right choice. Um, not even close. I don't think. Yeah, it's it's always easier in hindsight. I mean. It was basically, you know, everyone knew that he most likely wasn't going to sign an extension. And so, you know, you're taking a you're taking a chance that, A, like Kyrie was going to stay if Anthony Davis was there. But if he was going to leave as well, no matter what, to join Durant in Brooklyn, then, like, you know, there's really no point in just ha- in gutting your team for Anthony Davis if he doesn't have, you know, that talent around him to play next to. So it's. It's easily questioned at the time, but I think seeing how Tatum and Jalen have both developed, um, I think it's a little bit more justified. Now, obviously, Anthony Davis is having an incredible season, you know, in L.A., so from a talent perspective, his price is justified. But I just think when you're thinking long-term, Ainge looked at the landscape and said, you know, we're not going to be any better if we do this. We may as well just keep our cost-controlled guys for multiple years. Um, and push it all on the tips for a guy who's probably going to leave this season. I mean, you mentioned that he's having such an amazing season, um, and the Lakers are primed for a huge playoff run with him and LeBron. So to take it away from, I guess, uh, just Celtics questions for a second, what do you see Anthony Davis doing? Like, obviously LeBron can't play forever. Like, it seems like he can, and it seems like he has been. But in reality, it's it's I would say maybe – 
I, I can't put a number on it exactly because he always surprises me. But do you see Anthony Davis kind of inheriting the Lakers after LeBron leaves, or do you think he'll try to move on and find another like huge teammate to like team up with? Well, I think it'll just depend on what else they have around him, right? Like, I think if if they're yeah. able to bring in some some additional pieces uh, to surround him with, like, why wouldn't he stay? But um, I don't think we're you know, we're three to four years away from even having to worry about that because I just think LeBron is just never going to leave. He's never going to stop. So by yeah. that time, he's 30 years old. Like, he may be looking – if they don't win a championship during that run, like, maybe he starts looking around. There's just so much unknown. But mm-hmm. I think for all intents and purposes, he's going to stay there and he's going to be the guy in LA after. Yeah. Something else I wanted to mention. I think it's – I saw this in a tweet somewhere. I forget who put it out, but – I think it's the funniest thing that we could potentially see a lineup of Rondo, Waiters, J.R. Smith, LeBron, and JaVale McGee on the court at the same time. That just makes me smile. Just to think of all those players on the court with LeBron. Like, I don't understand how he trusts J.R. to be on the court with him. Like, I guess, like, they're obviously friends and they were on the same team for years. So I guess I can understand, forgive and forget. But that was just such a big moment. Obviously, he has his history with Rondo. Deion Waiters is Deion Waiters, and then JaVale McGee just seems like a psycho. I just think that that yeah, roster. Yeah, you got to remember, right? Like, McGee has championship experience. J.R. Smith yeah. won a ring with LeBron and has something crazy like the fifth most threes made in the finals. So it's like mm-hmm. they're outrageous characters, and, like, it seems like it shouldn't fit, but they've all been on the stage and they've won yeah. at the highest level, even if they weren't the main guys. But they're not going to have to be the main guys in L.A. So – for me, it's like, it's funny from a comedy perspective, but on the basketball side, like, you know, all JaVale McGee needs to do is roll hard to the rim and just dunk every lob LeBron throws and block shots. He can do that. They're not asking any of these guys to do anything outrageous because Anthony and LeBron, Anthony Davis and LeBron are just going to carry 85% of the load. You just need guys like Danny Green and J.R. Smith and those guys to just make timely threes, defend their positions at an acceptable level, and just get out of the way when LeBron has the ball. One thing I'm interested to see, like you mentioned Rondo being in that lineup, Rondo always comes to play in the playoffs. Even when he's been on the decline in his career, like when he was in Chicago, he really gave the Celtics fits. When he was in New Orleans, he upset the Blazers when he was playing with Anthony Davis. Do you think he's going to have a similar type uh, productive postseason uh, this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, playoff Rondo is about as legendary as, like, any any point guard in NBA history. I mean, he's, he's just reaches a different level on, on the big time stage, but it'll be interesting to see if, if players still have that same mentality in this bubble where there's no crowd, there's no, you know, nervous energy in the arena with all the fans. It'll be interesting to see that, but I have no, I have no doubt that playoff Rondo is going to make his appearance. It may not be for every game, but there will be some, you know, 12 points, 14 rebounds, 15 assists, Rondo performances that we saw so much of. Um, speaking of the playoffs, so now that Victor Oladipo has said he is not going to Orlando, the Pacers are no longer a serious threat, I don't think. So do you think the Celtics being the two or three seed matters as much now that we'll probably see Indiana drop down to six? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it matters to some degree just because – you know, you have to remember the, the Pacers do have the two-one head-to-head advantage over Philly, right? So, you know, unless unless the Sixers, for whatever reason, are 100% health, 
absolutely sucked and can't pass Indiana, you know, you're going to have most likely that Miami Philly matchup. But at the same time, if Indiana, if Brooklyn keeps sliding, then, you know, you have someone like Orlando at the two seed. Maybe you would rather face Indiana at as a three, six, as opposed to Orlando at two, seven, just because, I think Orlando is sneaky kind of good. They have crazy length. They have a good post presence in Vucevic. They have a guy like Terrence Ross who can get hot at any moment. You know, Especially I, against I, I the Celtics. Play Brooklyn, but if Brooklyn's going to slide to eight, I, I don't know if you want to you know, get into that two seed. But at the same time, if Philly doesn't make a move, then the two seed becomes even more important to get out of that first round matchup if you're someone who fears that matchup. Are you scared of Philly at all? Um, I don't know. I don't know if scared is the right word. I think they had a really interesting season series this year where, you know, they dropped two of the games. Two of the losses came on back-to-back. You know, they had games where Embiid was a problem, and then there are games where they held them to 1 of 11 shooting. So if you looked at all of those games, they were all relatively close, and then it was a one or two possession stretch in the fourth quarter that didn't go the Celtics' way. So. I'm not sure I fear them. I'm just, you know, I'm aware of the fact that they are someone who can give you problems, but at the same time, you have things that give them problems. So um, I'm fine if they end up playing in the playoffs. I'm of the faith where, like, if you're going to win a title, you're going to have to play good teams. But, you know, if you can avoid them, if they get out of your bracket, obviously it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know playing the Pacers in the first round is easier than playing the Sixers. For sure. I feel like just star power is everything. And obviously Simmons and Embiid had the star power over Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis. But speaking of the Sixers, uh, you mentioned all their struggles this season. And uh, a lot of people were even comparing it to like a mirror of what the issues the Celtics went through last season, which is, I mean, for one, horrible for Al Horford because I like, I love the guy, but you know, it, it trouble seems to follow in these past couple of years. But the question I wanted to ask you is say you're Philadelphia and you're Elton Brand, and you think something drastic needs to be done, or, like, do you think something drastic needs to be done if they underperform this year and maybe even next year? Would you look to trading one of your two superstars who both can't really space the floor and that seems to be causing issues? Would you end up trading Simmons and Embiid or or Embiid? And if you would, like, who would you get rid of first? No, I don't think – even if they lose in the first round this year, I don't think you're going to see them trade Embiid or or, – or Simmons. I just, I just don't. They're too young. They're too mm-hmm. elite of a talent. The problem is, is the two contracts you do want them to move, like a Horford or Tobias Harris, they make way too much money. So, you know, I, I think your that's obviously <laughs> yeah. your first goal is to maybe unload one of those two, um, and then bring in shooting. But I just, I don't think we're anywhere close to the, you know, Simmons or Embiid pairing getting split. It just, it wouldn't make sense um, because they're just so young. You haven't done everything you can, you know, to find the right fit around those two. But, you know, you're talking about two, you know, an all-NBA center and one of the best defensive perimeter players, facilitators, rebounders in the league in Simmons. Like, he can't shoot. That's a problem. But until you know for sure you can't add any elite shooting around him, you don't trade him. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people on like social media and everything say, okay, this one needs to go. No, this one needs to go. And I, I honestly am always split on who I would get rid of, but I <clears throat> I think I would agree. I don't think 
Philly would ever consider trading either of them unless it's like four or five years down the line and they still can't do anything. But like you said, both are elite, elite defenders. I think uh, Embiid, uh, never mind. I was going to say he showed flashes of shooting the three, but neither of them really have have that in their arsenal unless Simmons can magically develop that over the next couple of seasons, which I, I guess is possible. Do you, do you see Simmons ever developing a jump shot? Like, do you think it's like reasonable to assume? Um, I think a couple more if they come up short in the playoffs and his lack of shooting is the main reason why. Um, I think you'll see it. I just, at this time, he, he's able to get his, you know, offensive production without it. Um, and we just, you know, we've seen that fall short in the playoffs, but we haven't, you know, there was that Boston series a couple of years ago where it was a clear issue and that's what held them back. But I still think, you know, they need to come up short a couple more times before we, he also said he doesn't want to take threes until he's like a 40% shooter, which is just insane. I just think if it takes, you know, having failure up short to drastically change how you play. Yeah, I don't think it, it obviously won't happen overnight, but if he can manage to, I think that 40% thing is ridiculous. Like, I don't, I don't see how you can go from zero to 40 in a season, but uh, if if it's if it's going to come it'll come with time and uh hopefully for the sake of them even though I'm not a Philly fan obviously the opposite but for the sake of Ben Simmons he can develop that shot um i kind of also Wait, hold, ask, on, hold on yeah yeah speaking of Philly fans i know they love to come at you Dan <laughs> what is the most outlandish thing you have had a Sixers fan say to you on Twitter Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's too much. It's just what I love is is they scream from the top of their lungs about things that are just factually incorrect, and they treat that as reality. So <laughs> that's just a mindset I just I admire that you can pretend that certain things happen and speak of them as facts in an attempt to like talk shit to someone. Just doesn't really <laughs> like there are plenty of things you could say between the two that are actually real and actually happen but their you know repeated ability to just fantasize and, and talk about it as fact is, is truly unique i love i love how hard they go at you i was actually i make videos like when the celtics win like a really big game i make like recaps of the game and they're like kind of like meant to be funny and i was able to use replies to one of your tweets from sixers fans to like start off my philly video i'll send it to you later if you're interested in watching it but it is probably my favorite video that i've ever made just because they were so confident and then the celtics absolutely stomped them later on when kemba didn't even play that day that was the one uh, yeah, at the garden this year i mean there are con- i should be better about just leaving it alone but it's just fun to you know, play him around like a little puppet and put him in a pretzel of their own logic is just because they don't see it. So they just fall right into it every time. And like I said, there's just so many other things they can say and use that are, are real and actually exist. You don't need to, you know, make up a, a falsehood to try to, you know, talk shit about your team. Like, but the fact that they can't get over that is just, I mean, it's a, it's a never ending well, but I can understand like, not doing it as much people may be getting a little bit tired of it but sometimes i get really bored and i know they're always there and all you have to do is put out one little thing and then they just come running through it so it's, <laughs> it's something that i should be better about but i have time to kill and i just i can't resist oh man my my favorite is that it's the same like two or three people every time that i always yeah, just Mike, see replying the Mike to. guy is always there <laughs> 
Yeah, God. I mean, listen, they're they're a passionate group, but it's just I don't know. You would think after a couple of of rounds that you know maybe just just take a second and reread your tweet or like Google what you're about to say to make sure it's true, just because it has to be uh, a little tiring to to keep self owning like like no fair base. I mean, Lakers fans don't do it. You know, Nets fans don't do it. Whoever you want to think of, there's nobody does it as as often as them and in the fashion that they do. But you know, I'm sure people would say the same thing about the Celtics and how obnoxious we are. It's all just that's the whole point of Twitter. I feel like. So. Yeah, but we have stuff to back it up. Like Philly, I don't know. Like 17 championships is something better than three. And I, yeah, I but I mean, in 2020, that. like, who gives a shit about 17? You know, like whatever. I will <laughs> like, always for care. Me, like, you know, like, like free agents don't care about it. Like, I would never be like, oh, well, the Sixers have won titles since 1980, whatever. I mean, my whole life, they went, I went 21 years without a title, and we haven't won one since. You know, I'm 33. Yeah. I've seen one championship. That's, you know, that's not great. So <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, let's talk about the actual season. Let's talk about what's actually happening now. Because um, that, that's like a Yankee fan being like, oh, 27 rings, like, that's so freaking lame. Like, everybody thinks you're just a douche for doing that. So, I never play the – even with the Lakers <laughs> fans, I never, I'm never like, oh, you know, we have 17 championships the year 11, and you count five as from the Minneapolis. Like, the whole thing is just lame to me. I, I try to stay away from it. Speaking of, um, speaking of psycho fans, who would you – we talk about Sixers fans. Who, who's the worst fan base on Twitter? Like, would you say it's the Sixers? I don't know if you've been asked this before. But. I, I have an answer to this after he answers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's probably – I mean, the Celtics are probably up there. It's probably Lakers Twitter. It's probably, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all the teams that have really passionate fan mm-hmm. bases. Obviously, L.A. is in the sports town, but, like, the Lakers are a different – that's a different breed. So they're obnoxious. Celtics fans are obnoxious. Philly fans are obnoxious. Houston fans, like, there's a lot of people who cry on Twitter. I don't think, you know, we're no better than any of them. We just don't mind it because it's the team we root for. I think uh, LeBron fans are the absolute worst people on the planet. I saw a tweet today that said, like, it was, like, a LeBron photoshopped, like, wearing, like, boxing gear next to Muhammad Ali. And, like, someone was like, yeah, like, this, this would be a good fight. But, like, <laughs> pretty sure LeBron would win. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean right, they're uh, they're an interesting breed too. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been tough as a Celtics person to try to talk shit on LeBron when he's you know ripped our heart out so consistently since 2012. But um, yeah, the ones who don't really you know they're not a fan of a team; they're just a LeBron fan. They're just they're tough. But I mean, listen, it's it's not like it's not validated. I mean, he's pretty freaking good last time I checked. But they are they can be known to be insufferable, just like anybody else. It's crazy to me. I saw that same tweet, but I, I don't know if it was Ali. I think I saw Tyson, but I see all these replies like, yeah, LeBron would stand a pretty good chance. And it's like Mike Tyson in his prime standing there looking like a giant. And I'm like, like, obviously LeBron's a big dude, but Mike Tyson, are you are you fucking kidding me? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, my God. But um, anyways, I think, Sam, Sam, there's something you wanted to you talk about, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Usually, towards the end of every podcast we do, I like to ask our guests uh, different questions about the Celtics. So, do you do you have a favorite uh, piece of Celtics memorabilia that you have? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's probably my uh, my Larry Bird signed basketball. Uh, I had I got this when I was in holy shit. I don't even know, maybe like middle school or freshman in high school. 
Um, it's traveled everywhere I've lived across the country. It's just, I'll probably be buried with this thing. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't have a ton of memorabilia. I have, that's one of like the three or four pieces that I have. Um, I smudged his signature a little bit when I was a kid because I just couldn't keep it in the case. So I'll never be able to sell it. But I wouldn't sell it anyways for no amount of money in the world. So that's probably number one for me. Do you have a favorite Celtics memory? I mean, other than, I guess in recent, because obviously the championship would probably be number one. But like in the probably the last decade, do you have a favorite Celtics moment? Um, so that's what, dating back to 2010? I mean, yeah, every Isaiah performance is up there for me. I mean, his his 53 against Washington in the playoffs was insane. I just think his two and a half years, what we saw from him offensively, I mean, in my lifetime, we had never seen from the Celtic player. I mean, he was doing shit that Larry Bird didn't even do and, and is up there with some of the all-time offensive marks in franchise history. Um, so I'd say that that run, which really, in my opinion, jump-started their rebuild way faster than they expected, um, right. in the last 10 years was probably the most exciting time. Um, one thing that you consistently um, hammer home on in your articles on Twitter is that the Celtics have not been able to put together a solid introduction video since the championship season. Why do you think they struggle so hard to do this? I don't know. And it's honestly, I wish someone, I wish I knew who on the team was in charge of that shit. So I could like write them a very sternly worded email (laughs) because it's not rocket science. It's like, you have the greatest player intro, maybe, you know, after the bulls, the the second best intro of all time, you won the title and it's been trash ever since. Like, you know, I know they say correlation doesn't equal causation or any of that scientific bullshit, but I know when this team had that intro, they were unstoppable. <laughs> it just gives a different feel. I just, I don't understand how they just don't bring it back. If it's the right issue, like just cut the check and buy the song, whatever. Um, but I'm every year heading into it. That's like, that's very high on my list of, of what I want to see and how I'll be able to Some to of the stuff the year will go. And, and nothing has stood up to that 2008 one. Some of the stuff that they do is just ridiculous. Like the one this year, like they have like like these stupid glasses they put on, and it's like uh, like fucking Frankenstein. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, get it. And like, like who, who comes and up with this year, stuff? Yeah, there was a year it was like some sort of Skrillex intro. Like stop it. <laughs> like we know what works. Give us highlights. Give us a good you know a good song, and then you know play AO technology for the player intros, and we're and we're golden. I just. I understand that it's, you know, they're probably thinking, you know, we need something new and hip and fresh and whatever, but like the proof is in the pudding. Go back to 2008 and you'll win championships. I don't see the problem. The 2010 one wasn't that bad either. Cause like that's one, like if you search like Celtics finals introduction on YouTube or playoff introduction, like that comes up. It's not terrible. It's similar to the 2008 one. It's not the same, but nothing tops that 2008 one. It gets me hyped every time. I can still watch every it. time. Every time, like even now, 12 years later, you can't watch it and not get goosebumps. It's just, it's such a tragedy how it only had one season uh, of existence. So what you're saying is if we see a Celtics intro of that caliber, like say next year or the year after, you're going to just, we'll see, we'll see a greeny article that's just like the Celtics are winning the championship this year, no matter what happens. Yeah. Like if they, like (laughs) if, if whoever's in charge of that is listening to this and they, they roll out with that same intro next year or something that 
you know, it's going to be hard to match. So let's just say in a magical world they do. I'm going to put my mortgage on the Celtics to win the championship without that. <laughs> I'll put my entire college tuition fund. Uh, yeah, like every penny that I have to my name will go on. Because it's just, I know what will happen. That's just how it works. Like, it's just crazy because it's really not hard. Their, you know, the Bulls had their intro, won titles. The Bad Boy Pistons had a pretty awesome title. You know, they won a, they won a, a title in the, um, you know, those two titles in the, in the 80s or whatever that was. It's, you know, the Heat, when they had their, you know, they had that white strike Seven song. Seven Nation Army, yeah. LeBron. That was a nasty intro. They won a championship. Like, it's just, the, the proof is in the pudding. It's like, it's offensive that the Celtics don't realize it. Yeah, and like, it's funny, you mentioned like, they want like something fresh and new. Like, that's not the Celtics. Like, the Celtics <laughs> are old school. We've had the same jerseys since the 50s. And like, it's awesome. Like, don't change stuff. Like, that's what we as fans like, I think. I think we like the old school, like that's what we're all about. Yeah, and, and I'm, and you could also throw this into the same category of not wearing home whites at home. Like that will I drive, hate that. That drives me insane to this day. I don't understand it. I get so mad when I see them wear anything but the home whites. Like, I don't like what Nike's doing with the jerseys. It's it's terrible. Home whites or home yeah, whites. Yeah, I mean, listen, you want to wear some sort of alternate. All for it. The black one, like, I like some of them. I like the black jerseys. You just do that. On the road. do that shit on the road. You know, when you step into the garden and you got the green parquet, you just need to be wearing a white jersey. It doesn't look right. Not up for debate. The only ones that fit are the St. Patrick's ones that they wear, like, a week out of the year. Do you like those jerseys? Or no? I know some people um, to be hate honest, them. I prefer I prefer the St. Patrick's look from the Pierce era. And the big That's jersey. what I'm talking about. Yeah, but those. But even still. If you're wearing those that have to be on the road, you step in the garden, you're wearing home whites, end of discussion. Speaking of speaking of jerseys, what do you guys think of the um the, like gold and green jerseys they put out this year with the weird font? They should just use the regular I mean, font. I don't mind them as long as they just don't wear them at home. <laughs> That's the <laughs> only thing. What do you what do you think the Celtics obviously Nike's trying to put out like oh a city edition or a statement or whatever a jersey like new team for every year what kind of like design do you want to see the Celtics go with just like change the colors up a little bit or do you want to see them do something like they did this year with the the font or like change something just to have a, a unique or like you guys said about the intros a, a new like new vibe to it um I don't know I, again I'm not really like a graphic designer but maybe just find a way to incorporate the parquet maybe around the trim of of the arms and the neck something like that like a parquet design Um, that's a good idea i don't think you need to go too crazy i think when it comes to these iconic franchises you could make them look new and updated and do it in a subtle way that's all i would ask is that they just approach it with you know subtle changes i like the ones they had last year to be honest with the yellow trim if they're going to do something a little yeah, different and like those, for alternates. the white ones with the yellow trim, like those look nice, but they still yeah. look like Celtic jerseys in my opinion. Exactly. I'm not oh. not big on changing the yeah. – reinventing the wheel is not my thing. <laughs> I just repainted my room and like I dragged my feet for that. So <laughs> my, my biggest hope is that the Celtics um, graphic designers don't do something like the Mavericks because I think those are the ugliest. I, I'm, I hate those jerseys. Oh, I thought you were about to say like you hope they do it. I was like, oh, no, God, no, Jack. those graffiti jerseys. I like what were they thinking? Like, I just don't I don't get it. Do you think – what do you think the worst well, – I mean, who has like the worst jersey? There of like Dallas street art or something like that. So there's like a city 
tie into that <laughs> jersey. Who I has guess. the worst jersey? Do you think? Other than the Who Lakers, the, like traditional. Uh, in general, traditional. You can do a traditional and then do like one of the ultimates. Um, shit, worst jersey. Um, I don't I know. The Timberwolves seen. ones are pretty bad. The neon yeah. green. That's pretty yeah. terrible. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Like, I have a good one. I don't really. I don't like the Hawks ones that much, like that checkered. I wish they would go back to their vintage look. Um, I think they are getting new jerseys next year. I, I, okay. I think I saw that somewhere. I'm trying to think. Who else? Who else is just – I personally um, – Pistons, like, city jersey, it makes them look like a soccer team, I think. I think those are terrible. Oh, the red yeah. ones? Those are awful. The red and blue with, like, the two racing stripes down the middle, like, no. Yeah, they look like Barcelona. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Other than that, I can't think of any, like – Specific teams like just I, I don't like any of the Pistons jerseys to be honest they're all just boring. Like, I I don't mind Detroit. I mean I don't know like historically we're not supposed to but I don't know I always kind of root for them for some reason. Probably because they're terrible. But yeah, probably <laughs> yeah, if they were good I'd probably hate them. <laughs> oh man, Blake Griffin just what happened to him this year? I mean we don't have to talk about it for too long but like uh, injuries just derailed. He was so uh, he was good last year like all star just and then just this year just. Fell off a cliff. Andre Drummond, they well, traded he, him for a pack of rocks. Healthy, he's still, you know, yeah. an all-NBA caliber player. He just has to be healthy. Fortunately, yeah. he doesn't have much help either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, they're a mess. I don't know. Do you think – I'll ask you this. What, who do you think is the franchise that's in the worst position right now, like overall? Like, obviously, there's the Suns. They have Booker, so they have some sort of future. Then there's the top of the list, like the Bucks, who are competing right now. Who's in the worst spot as a franchise right now, in your opinion? I mean – Maybe it seems like the Pistons, they don't really have, I mean, outside of Blake, they don't really have any young, exciting talent that, you know, you, you see being a future star. So I'd say they're up there. Um, who else? Like Cleveland is, is tough just because, you know, unless you truly believe in Garland and Sexton, uh, they've had a pretty tough start to their NBA career. And, you know, they're sort of, they're stuck with Love's big contracts, so and then they're about to pay Drummond like twenty nine million a year. So they're they're looking bleak, but things can change so fast in the league. Like if any of those guys take a leap over the summer, you know, like high lottery picks are projected to, it could change. So someone like Detroit, I'd say, is probably number one, just because they don't have like a Garland or a Sexton as like their franchise young asset. Um, unless you think Seku or whatever, however you say his name is going to be that two way, <laughs> they just don't have that young talent. Yeah, is he going to be a Giannis where we all have to learn how to say his name? <laughs> like you right, think like they were like, oh, like, I mean, who knows? He, he killed the Celtics in their one meeting and then didn't do anything for the rest of the season. But uh, I just I don't think they have that you know star level young talent that even if you know someone like Cleveland or Phoenix or Memphis like. These other teams have shown to have that elite young talent. Yeah, Detroit's probably not in the best place possible with Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin leading the charge. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, we can start to wrap this up here. This, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I yeah, really, this was really fun. Great time. Oh, uh, like I said, as long as as long as we figure out how to get the technology working, I'm around. <laughs> so. awesome. uh, yeah. That, that was rough. Not usually the best with that, but I'm glad we figured it out. Is there anything you want to say or obviously plug your Twitter and everything before we end this here? Yeah, I mean, I guess just 
follow me on Twitter, Stuhl Greeny. Read my, you know, read the blogs, BarcelonaSports.com, and um, uh, we're 26 days away. I think was the countdown today, so we're we're getting there. We just got to hold out a little longer. So close, so close. Sam, you got anything? No, just Parquet Press might be changing that soon. Um, but yeah, this listen to the podcast. Obviously, if I'm telling you to listen, you're listening. But <laughs> we really like making these, so keep listening. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, make sure to follow both these guys on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, thank you guys for listening to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA and Parquet Press. See you guys next time. Peace out.